I managed to you know, submit my resume, have an interview, and I eventually got the job. And it's funny that well, one of the people who interviewed me and gave me the job was Danny, who is my now husband. No way. <laughs> yeah, so he was the men's designer at Ocean and Earth, and then I became the ladies' designer. This is episode 45 of the Passion Effect podcast. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 45 of the Passion Effect podcast. This is a podcast where we chat to high performers from all industries to uncover the habits, motivations and steps that they took to discover their passion so that you can do the same. My guest on today's episode is Australian entrepreneur Tara Solberg. Tara is a co-founder and owner of two companies which she established with her now husband Danny. Her first company called Few and Far and her second company Indigo Love offer rustic furnitures and homewares with the simple goal of bringing the world home. Tara has been featured on Studio 10, The Daily Mail, The Australian Women's Weekly. She's worked with other well-known Australian entrepreneurs such as Mark Burris. And today on the podcast, Tara is here to chat to us about the incredible story behind her business success, how you can manage both professional and personal life, as well as business advice and adapting to business during this COVID era. Please join me in welcoming from Jarvis Bay, New South Wales, my guest today, Tara Solberg. Tara, welcome to the Passion Vec podcast. Firstly, it's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Jack. It's great to be here. I'm so excited for this one. I hope my listeners are as well. But I just wanted to start the, I guess, set the scene for everyone. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what you did at university before you were an entrepreneur? Yeah, sure. So I grew up or spent most of my life in Jervis Bay. Jervis, Jarvis, there's always yeah, that. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, yeah, but I've been there since I was about two years old. So my family moved down from Sydney down to Jervis Bay, setting up a, you know, a life built around a lifestyle. And that's basically what I've kind of tried to do myself. But so I had an amazing childhood, you know, fairly sort of carefree and, you know, out in the boat, spending time at the beach all of the time. Um, and I really enjoyed where I lived and loved kind of growing up in that area. And when it came to going to uni and leaving home, that was kind of a really big thing for me because I didn't want to leave home. Well, I didn't want to leave the area, that's for sure. And go up to Sydney, but at the same time, it was exciting. Um, so I ended up choosing to study a Bachelor of Design, which I was accepted into COFA, the College of Fine Arts, as part of the University of New South Wales in Paddington. And so I actually moved up and lived for a little while with my auntie and uncle who lived um, in Campbelltown, which was about an hour away commuting each day into wow. uni. That's big. And then, yeah, <laughs> with the eight o'clock lessons and things, I think I had the 5.30 train or something some mornings. <laughs> but um, I ended up finding some beautiful friends at uni who I started sharing an apartment with. And I lived in Coogee, so I managed to kind of get back to the beach and, and you know, experience that, just breathing in that beautiful fresh air of the salty, you know, that salty air at the beach was always really refreshing for me. And, yeah, so I studied a Bachelor of Design at uni and I really... I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that age because, you know, who really knows what they want to mm. do when they leave high school? But I just remember 
that course to me looked like something that I would enjoy the most. Um, it was creative. It was also quite a broad course where it covered quite a few different aspects of design, not just focused on one thing. And I thought that's probably the right course for me. Yeah, well, it sounds like you put the uh, the course to pretty good use there. You're obviously working a lot in design and we'll get to more of that later. But just wanted to ask Tara, what was more important, the social life or the actual study itself? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the socialite is the life is the part that I actually missed out on. Like normally they say, you know, when you go up to uni that, you know, it's all about the social life. And I think that's sort of what I was most bummed about because COFA was just like this tiny little campus on Oxford Street in Paddington. And, you know, like the uni bar and everything like that, you know, all everything that's happening was down on main campus in Kensington. I'm like, why? Oh. <laughs> So I sort of missed out on that, but then we made up for it, like, you know, when I moved into our flat in Coogee and everything, and we had you know, everything within walking distance after uni. So that was pretty good. <laughs> wow. No, so what did you what did you do after you finished your uni degree then? I assume there's another step before you went to do entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah, so I was actually in my third year of the course and the course runs for four years. And in the third year, um, I was actually having some dinner with my friends back at home at Vincentia. And they mentioned that there was a job going at Ocean and Earth, the surf company, which is actually based down in Sussex Inlet, which was not far from Jervis Bay. And it was a graphic design position. It was um, yeah, a position for ladies designer. So I thought, wow, you know, what more could a girl want or a South Coast girl want? Sort of, you know, beach-loving, surf industry job where, you know, they go surfing at lunchtime and it's a pretty <laughs> carefree environment there. But so I applied for that job and when I called up to submit my, my resume, it had actually been kind of advertised for quite some time, but then I managed to you submit my resume, have an interview, and I eventually got the job. And it's funny that the person or well, one of the people who interview, interviewed me and gave me the job was Danny, who is my now husband. No way. <laughs> yeah, so he was the men's designer at Ocean and Earth, and then I became the ladies' designer. That is insane. Okay, the, yeah. the fact that he was interviewing me <laughs> is insane. But the thing that I find even more insane is that you two ended up starting your first business together, Few and Far. Yeah. How did that whole bit come along? Yeah. So as part of the job um, at Ocean and Earth, oh, and I actually, I finished my uni degree, so I finished the fourth year and I used, mm. you know, working at Ocean and Earth as my professional experience, all that sort of thing. But as part of the job that I'd gotten at Ocean and Earth, it involved travelling the world twice a year, which sounds very glamorous, but we'd travel the world twice a year and going on, go on these buying trips, which we we travelled to about five different countries. So it would be Honolulu, LA, London, somewhere in Europe, whether it be Barcelona, Paris, and then on to Tokyo. But that was all in the space of two weeks. So it was actually extremely tiring, but at the same time, it was really exciting and such a, an amazing experience for us. But part of our role was to forecast trends and to buy samples, basically leave home with an empty suitcase mm. and come home with a full one. With a full one. So, yeah. <laughs> so we yeah, we'd look at what everyone was doing in the fashion industry because they at that time they were ahead of us 
shifts in terms of trends, especially sort of colours and fabrics and applications and all of those sorts of things. And yeah, so that was a big part of our role. So, and it was on during that, that time um, that when we were overseas, I'd always drag Danny into like the homewares and furniture stores and things when we'd sort yeah. of had a bit of downtime. I loved all of those stores. And there was one store in Melrose in particular that was like a big, massive showroom with all one-of-a-kind pieces from all over the world, India, China, Morocco, uh, Indonesia, all over. And the boss or the owner was sitting at the back of that showroom at a desk on his laptop looking pretty relaxed and pretty yeah. like in love with what he was doing and Danny turned to me and he said I want to be him and and I sort of thought well that works for me because this is what I would really love to do and it was basically from that moment that that's when it sort of became a real possibility that maybe we could have a go at something like this and use our experience from travel and sourcing and things to incorporate into a new business idea. So it's interesting how you talked about when you were traveling, that that was sort of kind of the point when you kind of discovered that maybe entrepreneurship could be a possibility for you and Danny. Was that ever something you ever wanted for yourself, financial freedom, when you were young growing up, the type of Um, lifestyle? Probably. I don't think I ever really thought about it too much when I was growing up, but I do actually remember a very specific moment in my childhood when I was quite young. I was about four years old. We'd moved down um, from Sydney. My mum and dad were building a house. It's funny, I'm four years old and I can remember this. So, But my mum and dad, my dad's a builder. Um, so he was building our new house and we were renting at the time and the place that we were renting was a townhouse which was opposite the beach and so it was three stories high and my bedroom was on the top story and I remember just sitting there on the windowsill because the roof kind of went out with my feet out on the on the roof very safe (laughs) and just looking out to the ocean and just thinking this is what I want and when I grow up I want to be able to have this and so from that day that's basically been my goal that you know I want to be able to afford or to be able to Mm. live a lifestyle like that and to live in a beautiful part of the world. Wow it's kind of like that concept of lifestyle design that's like the buzzword that everyone seems to be talking about these days. Yeah. <laughs> so Tari, is it true? I was I was doing some research. Is it true that when you started your company Few and Far, you considered the idea of taking over a pizzeria in the south coast of New South Wales? Yes, it is true. <laughs> we when we were working at Ocean and Earth, it came to a time I'd been there for about five years and Danny had been there for much longer. And it had come to a time where the culture had slightly changed. They were bringing in investors and everything felt a little bit different. And we sort of felt like our time was maybe up and we needed to do something different. And so it was around that time that we just started looking for opportunities or different possibilities and the local pizza shop was for sale and that was actually something that sparked our interest just thinking Mm. well we can our own bosses and be in charge of our our lives and what we choose to do and so we went down that road we even looked at figures had a meeting with the owner you know but then 
stepping back and actually thinking about it and what it was about that opportunity that excited me in particular was that I just wanted to redecorate it and, you know, design a new fit out. It wasn't about making pizza and chopping up vegetables and going in to light the fire each morning. Um, So when I stepped back and actually thought about that, it was, and it was also at a time when we were sort of thinking about family, like we'd one day like to have children, are the hours the best for that? And we just made the decision, no, that wasn't, that wasn't the right choice for us at that time. So yes, it's true. We did look at a pizza shop. <laughs> wow. Amazing. And I guess that design aspect is is so important in cooking as well, but obviously different kind of design, interior design, obviously call your interest. So you were figuring out, do you want to take over this pizzeria shop? You said no. And then you ended up leasing a store in Huskinson to start your business okay. Fionn Far. My question is, where did you get the money from? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> well, we couldn't get a loan from any bank. They didn't want to know us, basically. I, we'd put together a business plan and everything, but, mm-hmm. you know, the usual story of when you trying to start a business because you have no history in that business then there's nothing we we had built a house and that sort of thing but obviously had a full mortgage for it so we didn't have any equity in any properties Mm. nothing like that so it sort of feels quite impossible to start in a in business but um i was very fortunate that my parents were able to lend us money and they we were also very fortunate that they had such strong belief in us and what we had envisioned to do, which then obviously allowed them to kind of hand over a loan of $80,000 for us to start our business. We had the shop that we'd chosen required a huge amount of work to turn it into what we wanted it to look like it it was basically falling down dilapidated building mm. the, the holes in the floor in the walls everything it used to be a video shop so all of the walls were on a, a slope and then ripping all those off and there's taps coming out there's just you know it was just wow. a nightmare building but it was the perfect building for us and we knew that if we could transform it in the way that Um, we had hoped in our minds then it would be a success and it would look beautiful and it would attract people and my dad being a builder was able to help us with that and also he could see that vision that we had so he could him being able to see it allowed him to have the the faith and the confidence to invest in us and Mm. we did all we did repay that loan the very next year so (laughs) <laughs> well, first of all, that's amazing that you repaid the $80,000 loan I was reading. But yeah. the thing is, how did you convince your parents to give you that money? Like, I'm sure a lot of people listening right now are like, eh, if I went to my parents and asked them for $80,000 for a yeah, business yeah. idea, they might not be so sure. So like, how did you kind of like convince them that this was like an opportunity worth investing in? Like, obviously they want to, they care for you and they see you succeed. But I guess like yeah. a lot of people, you know, a lot of parents that might be more risk averse, you know, they may not be willing to do that. So like, how did you kind of like convince your parents to do that? Well, I didn't just go to them and ask, Hey, mom and dad, can I have (laughs) $80,000? It wasn't like that at all. It was more, 
I've always been very focused and mm. very determined, I guess, in anything that I take on. And even through school, you know, I've been very kind of regimented and structured in the way that I work. And I was nothing was different about this situation. So when it came to building this business or the idea for this business, I had it all kind of documented and planned out. I knew exactly what I wanted it to look like. I knew exactly what I wanted to sell. And Danny and I both knew exactly what we wanted to import in terms of, you know, having that, that uniqueness to the business and how it would present to our customer base. You know, I was even on holidays in Thailand before we even had the location, sketching out logos while I was wow. laying on the beach. Like it was, <laughs> you know, I kind of can get obsessed with these things. So I think it was that that structured approach and also the determination and the drive that they could see that I had that gave them the confidence to lend the money. It wasn't just some, you know, off the cuff idea mm. that was thrown out there. Absolutely, no doubt. I actually think this is a good time to talk about people listening on this podcast that maybe might be considering starting a business of their own. Maybe they're already business owners. If they're looking for more capital, but maybe their parents might be so willing to give them a loan, what's the next best course of action that you would suggest to people in terms of getting money so you can raise that capital and get that equity that you need? Yeah, that is tough. Um, depending on the stage that people are at, obviously, if you do have assets such as a house that you have equity in, um, you can go and borrow against that equity. Or I think the biggest mistake that we made was not working with a business bank manager. So we literally just went to like the local bank manager and asked mm -hmm. for a loan. Whereas I think if we had have been in touch with a business bank manager or somebody had have put us in contact with a business bank manager, we probably would have had a lot more luck because you know, they're looking at things differently and they can sort of mm. suggest a structure in terms of how much you can borrow, what your repayments will be, how you're going to do that and how you're going to manage that loan. Whereas we just didn't have that and we didn't have that advice. So I think my advice would be probably to set up a meeting with a, a business bank manager, not just walk into your local bank and sit down and speak to somebody. And I think you would have a lot more um not luck, but opportunity there. Okay, if interesting. Did, if that, if if getting a loan is um, how you, the only option that you have. Mm, that's some really useful advice there. Um, I'm also curious as well. So as you said, you were starting this business with your now husband Danny. How did you find that experience working with someone who's like also your partner and then eventually slash husband on a business? Like, did you find it hard to separate kind of personal professional life? Because I see I see that as like a challenge that would like a lot of maybe family businesses or people might encounter, you know? Yeah. No, we didn't have too much trouble. We were fortunate enough, enough, obviously, to have worked together previously. So he was actually my boss yeah. <laughs> prior to that. Um, and so we knew that we could work together. And and from working with each other, we also knew that we we were on the same wavelength in terms mm. of when it came to creating ideas or coming up with ideas and brainstorming and all of that. So we're always very much on the same page. So, and, and that's probably been one of the, I guess, the strengths in our partnership is that we 
both are excited by similar things. Like we'll be walking through a, a factory or a warehouse in India when we source our one-of-a-kind furniture pieces and we'll both kind of stop and choose the same pieces or be excited by the same pieces mm. or, you know, before the each other even knows that that's what we're looking at, we kind of look at it and then we both look at each other and go, yes, yeah. So it's like we, we think very, very much on the same page. So, yeah, for us it's... Um, I think that's one of the most valuable parts of our partnership and being able to just have that other person to bounce off with ideas as well. That's interesting. What, what makes a good business partnership, do you think? If, if, say, people listening, considering business partnership, what sort of things should they be considering when looking well, for Well, I've always partner? said that, uh, and Danny and I have both said, because we're both creative, it's good and bad. So we've often said we wish the other one was an accountant. <laughs> because then you'd have like the best of both worlds you'd have that person who is really savvy with the numbers and business and that sort of things and then you'd have the creative but we're fortunate that we do have a good understanding of all aspects of the business and that's why that works but I think in terms of having a good partnership obviously you need to know that you can work well with that person you can be honest and open with that person without you know offending each other and because you do need to be very um, I guess, straight up when it comes mm. to business. You know, there's a lot at stake. There's people's jobs, there's houses, there's families, everything on the line. So you do need to have a really good, open and honest relationship. Um, we've, we've even had family involved. So my mum and dad were very involved in the business as well um, for quite a long time. And I, a lot of the times I probably wouldn't recommend working with family, but again, we had that open and honest relationship. So that was what made even like strengthened that and made it work. And we still talk to each other. (laughs) It's so amazing. It seems like open and honesty and transparency is a big part of your success as a business partner. Were there any times throughout, I guess, the business process, especially starting your first business, few and far, where you encountered sort of like conflict with Danny and like how how did you go about resolving that so that like the business could progress forward? Yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. There's definitely conflict. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not bad. It's normally just like, you know, a small disagreement like, um, you know, I want to do this and he wants to do that or whatever it might be or it's like who chose that? And then, <laughs> You can ask any of our staff. We'll have a little kind of banter every now and then but then it's all resolved and I usually win (laughs) 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 no it's not we don't we don't have many disagreements and usually um, if we do we can talk them through and we usually come to some kind of conclusion and a lot of Mm. the times um, it'll be that he might challenge me or vice versa or Mm. the other person initially you don't think that that's a good idea but then when you actually think about it you think okay no you've actually made this idea even better by making me think about it a little bit more that's that's a good point yeah you sort of it almost seems like you need some sort of conflict or someone to like kind of challenge your ideas to make them better because if everyone just agrees the whole time then you're not yeah. really getting that second thought, are you? Which is kind of, I guess, what you're hoping to get out of having staff and having a business partnership. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I guess you need some kind of conflict, but uh, also well, not too much. A then it can't move. A yeah, a challenge. <laughs> Devil's advocate. There you go. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you're also a mother. 
you raised yes. two kids with your husband Danny yeah how do you manage that business <laughs> personal life kind of idea it must be must be quite a lot on your plate it is it's a very busy time of life at the moment so we've got two children Sari who's five and Jonah who's seven so they've Sari's only just started kindergarten this year which has sort of changed the dynamic again we've got a little bit more time but the school day is only really short so there's only so much that you get done in a day um but saying that our business has changed so much over the years it's evolved and you know it's grown and there's our roles have changed as well where you know before we're a lot more hands-on now we're doing a lot more uh, work from home so working from home has been great with having the kids like because it gives a, a bit more flexibility with what we need to do with them um, and we are very hands-on parents so we do like to spend a lot of time with our children um, but in saying that our business has changed, like my role within the business has really become a lot more involved. So um, Danny and I have really had to kind of juggle the kids and he's done a lot of school pickups and after, uh, after school activities and things like that to help me out when I've had to put in mm. the hours and the longer mm. days and vice versa. Like we're, we are we share different parts of the business. I guess that's another thing where, where the partnership works is he's very much involved in the operations and the logistics side of the business, whereas I'm more on the retail side because we have retail and wholesale. So he does a lot of that side. I do more of the retail side. And then we both come together in the product development and creative side. So, yeah, managing the kids is definitely a juggle um, and it's something that we share. But these days, Danny has them a lot more than um, I do. But then, yeah, we, 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 we work around them. So we try and structure our days so that we are both able to walk them to the bus stop or pick mm. them up from school and do those sorts of things. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so, so great. And as you said, you know, you, you just bounce off each other as business partners. Um, so that must make yeah. life a lot easier. But, I mean, Talk to me about kind of how COVID impacted your business because I know you said a lot has changed over the years and you did have a very successful, I guess, time in business during COVID yeah. from what I heard. So, like, what did you do to kind of pivot your business? What was it before? What is it now to kind of make it, I guess, kind of where it is today? Well, our business has grown substantially, especially over the last two years, but it definitely hasn't been easy. So, with that growth, there's obviously different challenges that come along you know you've got to deal with you know uh, quickly employing extra staff which we all know was very difficult through COVID um, there's also obviously managing the cash flow and that because you have to buy more if you need to if you're going to sell more you've got to buy more you've got to have more stock available but just prior to COVID we had experienced the bushfires as well so mm. all of our store locations Huskisson, Berry, and Barrel were also and we had a store in Lura in the Blue Mountains all of those areas were surrounded by bushfires. And what was normally the busiest time of the year was like a ghost town for us. Mm. And that's normally the time of year where we do, we do have the opportunity to accumulate that cash to then inject into the new range of product that we plan on selling at the trade fair. So that was a challenge because that was around, you know, summer 2020 and mm. then straight into COVID when we thought we would have Easter to kind of recoup that money. Yeah, that's right. 
But fortunately for us, we were in the right industry in terms of homewares and furniture. And it was at the time when we went through lockdown and it was, you know, everybody was scared at that stage when, you know, never forget sitting there and listening to the the country is going to be closed down for a few weeks and yeah. see how it like lockdown. But then it turned out that everybody was sitting at home sort of realising that the sofa that they were sitting on wasn't so comfortable anymore and if they're mm. going to be locked at home then they may as well make it look nice. So we actually experienced a bit of a surge in online sales and we offered an e-decorating service. So we, we basically had to, I hate the word pivot, but we adapted to the times mm. and really changed our business model to suit what was going on and and that was part of achieving that success I believe. Wow do you think your business model is kind of there to stay like the whole you mentioned e-decorating do you think that's going to be like one of the things that you'll continue doing into the future? Yeah definitely there were a lot of things that we had implemented during COVID and lockdowns and that you know that time that we have kept and that we will work on and fine tune and you know refine for the future and we will keep offering it click and collect services all of those sorts of things um yeah definitely that definitely keep a lot of those of those things going did you have a best-selling homeware item during covid uh during covid um not so much we do we've got a our own range of acrylic glassware which we've had designed so it looks like the real thing and it's great for picnics so actually when it was like sort of that picnic time thing these things just flew out the door wow gosh <laughs> yeah. that is yeah. amazing that is it's so funny cool. though different times like even at the first lockdown when scott morrison came out and said you know an essential an essential item could be a jigsaw puzzle because you go yeah. out Right. So then we sold out of jigsaw puzzles. It's just crazy. Nuts. It's it's funny. It's funny. It's funny how the media can just kind of influence things like yeah. that. Especially yeah, now exactly. that everyone's like more connected. I know we've been yeah. saying that for years, but COVID has definitely made that more true for sure. Well, even on the online world for sure. Online business as well. So how did you start your podcast, Trade Wars, Tara? Because that was something I found very interesting. You're also a podcaster and podcast host yourself. Yeah. What's the podcast so- about? Trade Wins is um, I've started a, an online course for people wanting to start a retail business in particular because I know that when Danny and I both started our business, we had no idea what we were doing. We made a lot of mistakes. It probably cost us a lot more than what it should have because mm. of some of those mistakes that, that we'd made as well as the time that it took to learn those mistakes and what we should do and what we shouldn't be doing. So I basically set up an online course, How Not to Learn the Hard Way, um, and to guide people through the process and to give them the confidence to take that leap. So to leave their nine to five and to start a business, or even if it starts off as a bit of a side hustle and turns into a business, at least they will have the knowledge and the information to be able to follow the right steps into creating a profitable and successful retail business. So the Trade Wins podcast is accompanying to that course. And it's basically um, the first season is basically a collection of stories um 
from Danny and I, uh, where we speak about, you know, right from conception and it follows a bit of a timeline. So from the day that we first, well, from before we opened the store through to kind of now almost, or yeah, it's just all of our stories. When we started importing the mistakes that we made, when we opened our stores, the mistakes that we made and just, you know, Mm. those funny things that happen along the way that are always interesting and I thought it would be good for people to see, like, you know, we're a very successful business now, but when we started, you know, we, we knew nothing. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and how we figured it all out. And it's just interesting um, to, to be able to know that, you know, the people behind the business as well. And how did you start your second company? Um, Indigo. Indigo. Yeah, Indigo Love. How did yeah, you? So that's actually the that's the wholesale side of our business. Mm. Um, and so, it, after we uh, imported, started importing from India and northern China, a lot of sort of antiques and one of a kind pieces. We actually had a, a few people who had retail stores themselves and they'd visit our stores and they asked, "Where do you get these pieces? We've never really seen anything like mm. it." And then when we said that we actually imported them, they said, well, they asked, well, can we buy from you? Because, you know, we really need something different for our stores. And so we sort of just really started it very slowly like that, started selling to just, you know, a handful of people. And then we decided to do a trade fair. And from there, it's just grown. So now we've got over 1,000 retailers across Australia and internationally. And it's continuing to grow. So, yeah, it's definitely been a very important and challenging part to our business. Well, yeah, I mean, you talked there, Tara, about challenging and being an important part of your business, obviously scaling that's no easy challenge. But are there any things over kind of your design and, I guess, entrepreneur career to date, any lessons that you've learned through business? Oh, so many. <laughs> maybe you I could give us maybe two or three, maybe two of the yeah. three top ones that you think people yeah. listening to this podcast could apply to their own lives even. Yeah. I definitely think, um, and I don't think we really made this mistake, but I'm constantly reminded of it is to always think big. So I know when you're first starting out and, and, and being a wholesaler and a retailer, allows us to see both sides of that as well and to how people are thinking. Like I know we always from the day day one, we thought that we had big dreams, but we never thought that we would be where we are now. Mm. So we you know, you're always limited by what you what you know and you, you don't know. know what you don't know. So I would always say to think big, um, dream as high as you can dream and really aim for that. Obviously you have to put a plan in place to get there, but never rule anything out because it's always a possibility and just yeah and always the one thing that we didn't have and that we've been advised by you know people we've done a master class with Mark Burris and is to make sure that you've got an exit strategy so building your business in case you know you you your mind always changes in terms of how involved you want to be in your business. So you might think at the beginning, I want to be working in my shop every day, 
but then 10 years down the track you're like I'm actually tired of working in the shop mm-hmm. every day but now I'm stuck there so what do I do so really having that exit strategy in terms of having a plan of how how that business looks and where where you're going to be how you're going to be involved in it in the future or do you want to sell it or do you want to franchise it whatever it might be um, always having that that strategy in place um and also i guess just another lesson i don't know there's just so many there's just mistake i think finance is another big one having establishing a really good relationship with your business bank manager because that's actually something that probably held us back for quite a number of years from achieving what we potentially could have done earlier um you know we we hadn't really received the right advice so being able to go to your business bank manager and really asking them how do i how should i have my my account set up how should i have my loan set up what should i and and working with your accountant as well on all of that sort of thing and so that you have access to money because having access to money allows you to grow and it just gives you opportunity or if you need it or as well that buffer like always having sort of that three-month buffer so yeah finance would be a big one I can't remember if it was Bill Gates who said it but it's an old adage you got to spend money to make money exactly very true (laughs) this kind of echoes what you were what you were saying earlier um yeah Got one more question I want to ask you, Taryn. It's the same question I ask all my guests. What advice would you give to people about following their passions? Oh, I'd say go for it. But <laughs> but, um, like I said before, if you're passionate about something, I, I would definitely say you need to follow that passion, but you need to have a plan in place so that you can keep following that passion. There's no point in being passionate about something and just going into it sort of unprepared and then what was your passion could potentially turn into a nightmare and ruin your life. So you definitely need to have a plan in place in terms of how you're going to implement whatever it is that you need to do, how that's going to work, how that's going to play out, and therefore that will allow you to live life according to what you're passionate about so yeah it's definitely what we did we were very passionate about and we are very passionate about what we do um, but we did have a really um, structured plan in place to make sure that we could continue on with living out this passion yeah I think that's such a great way to finish off just yeah it's so important to to follow your passions as you said but you're right you you have to have a plan in place and i think that's something that can just be applied to to any passion even if you're an entrepreneur not entrepreneur so i think that's great advice to finish off a podcast but just before i let you go people might be wondering where can how can they get in touch with you how can they get in touch with like the business or like you know the courses and things you're offering to people to help people out yeah. Where can they go? So anything trade wins related or business related, um, you can visit my website, tarasolberg.com. Um, if you'd like to see what we do in regards to Few and Far and Indigo Love, it's just www.fewandfar.com.au or indigolove.com.au. Um, Instagram handle is Few and Far Home or Tara Solberg. Tara Solberg, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today to talk about your passion for entrepreneurship, for talking about 
your business success, how you got started, how you adapted to the COVID era. I know it's something that's very relevant at this time. And I wish you all the best to both you and Danny and your family for the rest of 2022, wishing you much business success. Thank you so much, Jack. And thanks for the opportunity to come on and chat with you. It was really enjoyable. Thank you so much. So how can we apply the lessons from today's episode? Here are my three key takeaways. Number one, lifestyle design. Patara, living near the beach was always a goal for her. So building a career that gave her the financial freedom to do just that was really important. Think about how can we apply this to our own lives? What type of life do you want for yourself? Then take action to create that life. Number two, don't be afraid to dream big. As Tara said, success is proportional to what you know and can apply. To reach new levels of success, you need people around you who can help guide and mentor you to get to where you want to be. Number three, have a plan. As Tara said, set a goal, but make sure you have a plan in place. Be willing to adapt that goal because if there's anything we've learned about COVID, it's that you never know what is around the corner. There you have it. Those are my three key takeaways from today's episode. Let me know on Instagram in the DMs what yours are. If you haven't already, make sure you're following The Passion Effect on Instagram at The Passion Effect Podcast and subscribe to The Passion Effect on Spotify. But don't stop there. The world needs people like you spreading important messages about passion and purpose. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing this episode with friends and family. I'm your host, Jack Pittman, and until next time, keep following your passions.